Hello, my name is Rosie Goldsmith and I'm director of the European Literature Network. I'm also presenter of the Europe Reader podcast, a new series of conversations with riveting authors from across Europe. You may already know my nickname, Rosie the Riveter, and our magazine, The Riveter, as well as our riveting reviews and riveting interviews, all dedicated to giving European writers the prominence they deserve. In this special podcast series, the European Literature Network is teaming up with Europe Reader, a groundbreaking digital platform initiated by the Slovenian Presidency of the EU Council, with the support of EU member states and EU institutions. Our joint motto is open a book for a better future. And our goal is to tackle the main topic of our times, the future of living. Through events and podcasts like these, we want to get readers everywhere exchanging ideas, reflecting on the kind of world we want to live in and how literature can help. Find out more about Europe Reader by logging on to the website europereader.eu. You can also access and read free books from each featured author from each EU member state, both in the original language and in English translation. There are novels, short stories, poetry, comics, essays, and some beautiful picture books for younger readers. Each riveting Europe reader interview is dedicated to one author from one country. And today I'd like to introduce you to Aquile Kavalovskaite, who is in Vilnius in Lithuania, and she's a TV print journalist and an author. Greetings to you. Hi there. Now, already at the tender age of 32, I think it is, if I worked that out correctly. Is that right, Sakuli? Oh, I'm 33 already. Oh my goodness, I missed your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. I will survive. <laughs> Already at a relatively young age, Aquile has published two books. And um, so forgive me this very, very indulgent question first. As journalist to journalist, how on earth did you find the time to do it alongside your journalism? Actually, it is uh, such a common question. Uh, everybody is asking me the same question. But what I usually answer is that if I didn't have my journalism jobs, I would never write a book. Never, because I, did, I wouldn't have any ideas. <laughs> so that's the thing. I get a lot of ideas from, from the work I do every day. I must meet somebody every day i must read something every day i have to see something every day and i think that only because of that i can write something in the evening well i'm very impressed i'm a journalist and i still haven't written a book so congratulations on all of that it's wonderful <laughs> you write too. it's really great you know but journalism is a different style of writing so how do you switch styles to fiction uh, I write for, for a magazine which is very liberal and I know the editor, she's my friend. And sometimes I write anything I want there. For example, if I want to write a short story instead of an interview, I just write her a short story and she says, okay. So that's the advantage of living in a small country. I, I don't have to change my style. I know that, for example, when I write a voiceover for, for, TV, uh, for a TV show, I know that it has to be a normal voiceover, not some kind of crazy creative sentences, you know. But when I write for myself, I just write how I want it to sound. 
I'm just looking for some kind of sound every time. Sometimes I, I just uh, I just pronounce it, you know, how it sounds. Let's uh, go back in time a little bit uh, because you're in Vilnius now, but you weren't born in Vilnius, were you? Tell me about your background and where you were born. I was born in Ukmerge. Ukmerge is a small town not far away from Vilnius, about 70 kilometers away. My mother raised me up alone because my father, he, they, they got separated and uh, he lives in Riga, Latvia. Uh, I started uh, my music school quite early in my life. I was six or seven. I used to play cello for seven or eight years even. And I also uh, used to attend dance lessons. That was modern dance lessons. And when I, I was maybe 15 or 16, we started traveling around Lithuania, just dancing, just with all that, all the dancing thing. You were born just before Lithuania became independent. How do you relate to that history? I mean, you're living in a completely different world from your mother who brought you up. It's interesting because, you know, I am a child of the biggest change in Lithuania. So... If, for example, I would look at the timeline of my life, every year and every month somehow would be related with the events here, political events in the thing. Every month and every year. What, what are you told about your history? Is your history, your nation still important to you? Uh, it's very important because uh, sometimes uh, I tell uh, my foreign friends for example, they're in England or in Germany or, or somewhere in, in, in the Western world. The life was more or less the same. Here, everything changed in 30 years, like everything, everything, completely everything. Does the younger generation like you in Lithuania have a, a different approach to your mother? Are you more hopeful, more positive? Are you, are you more ambitious? I don't know. I remember that in my early 20s, I used to feel a little bit sad about my origin, thinking that, oh my God, I was a good, good student at school. And I thought that, okay, if I was, were English or American or French, maybe I could study in, in Oxford or Harvard or Princeton, you know, maybe I could do some, I, maybe I could become bigger, you know. Now I'm okay with a small, you know, <laughs> it changed, it changed a little bit and I'm happy to be here. It's really interesting to be here. What is it like being a young author in Lithuania? Is it easy to get published? It's easy and it's really very hard at the same time. I have uh, a friend, he's a Londoner and he's a writer. He writes uh, science fiction. And he got published by, by some kind of very little publishing uh, publishing house. And our circulations are the same. You know, here in Lithuania, everybody knows me because of my book. There in England, nobody knows him because of his books. <laughs> Maybe it's the difference between a population of three million in Lithuania yes. and, and yes. a population, I think it was 60 million or something in the UK. Yes, yes, yes. So it's, not, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny to talk uh, about it with, uh, with any writer. So let's talk about your two books. Uh, you, you published a novel in 2015. 
and then you followed it up more recently with a collection of short stories. The novel, uh, which was your, your the very first thing you'd published, how how did you approach that? How how easy was that to publish? It was some kind of crazy story, actually. I got a phone call from a lady that I didn't know. She told me that, look, I'm a publisher of the biggest publishing house here in Lithuania. I read your uh, your essays on Facebook. Maybe you would like to write a novel. I, I was so young. I was 25 at the moment. I got so scared. It was my, my dream to write a novel one day, but not when I'm 25, you know. And I got really scared. So I spent one year writing that novel. I finished it and I got it published. That's it. Amazing. And it did so well. You'll look back on it and you think, well, that was when I was 25. And yes, and now you've published this collection of short stories. And a couple of them have been translated into English, which is great. And they are available for everybody listening to read for free on the Europe Reader website on the page, which has got your name and a little bit of a description about you. And you can read two of the short stories from this collection, which is called Bodies. And the novel was called Two Lives in One Summer, but that hasn't been translated yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But these, um, these short stories, Bodies, why that name? Actually, it's a short story collection, but somehow all that short story, they are related. They are relating, they are talking about the separation of body and feelings somehow, in some way. But the book is about feelings. It's really, from what I can tell from the two stories I've been able to read in English, it's about stripping away the body. Oh, it's very nice you read them. I'm so proud. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. And um, also in, in a very good translation by um, Medine um, Tribunovicius as well. Very good. So they're 12 stories. They're set in different parts of Europe and they're all linked, as you say. They're, they're, in a way, they're fragments, aren't they? They're, they're episodes. They're like scenes from a, a film. What do all the people in these stories have in common? They all have something going on with their feelings and their bodies and the relation between their bodies and their feelings. Somebody is getting old. Somebody's too young to do something. Uh, someone has a lack of something and uh, he cannot reach uh, his dream. Someone has too much, but doesn't know what he actually needs, you know? So it just goes like that. And what I was trying to do, I was trying to catch the moments from, from uh, nowadays, you know? For example, actually majority of my friends are taking that sleeping pills, you know? wrote quite a lot about those sleeping pills. I tried some myself, <laughs> trying to get asleep, trying to stay awake when I had a pill, you know. It's some kind of misunderstandings between your feelings and your body and your brain, maybe. It's about the psychology of the human being as well. It's about different generations. I think so. But it's very, it is very contemporary, as you say. I mean, it's also, there's a lot of, you know, social media, people, it's, it's really recognisable as now. And in a way, you're capturing a very contemporary feeling, contemporary society. Well, thank you. I wanted to do that. I wanted the book to look contemporary. 
every short story, from my point of view, it has to have some small but very, very, very hot or very, very, very cold situation. Uh, so my characters, they are hot or very cold. They get embarrassed all the time. They're embarrassed about themselves. They're embarrassed about the situations. They're embarrassed even about the origins, uh, about everything, you know. Uh, but it's quite, actually, it's quite Lithuanian because uh, a lot of Lithuanians get embarrassed very quickly. So a lot of people have seen themselves in your in your stories. What has been the reaction in Lithuania to this collection? Those people who are more or less like me of my age, they got it very well. All that critics, they actually, they really liked it. Uh, there were some people who just couldn't understand it. I don't know why, you know, I, I didn't have uh, any opportunity to ask them. <laughs> But I know that there are some who, who just uh, didn't understand it. My mom loves it. My grandmother also. Akrile, you also write and present this TV uh, documentary series called Lithuanians Around the World, where you're also observing people all the time in all kinds of different situations. Do you think that your writing and your, your short stories about all these different people, these different characters, you're pursuing the same goals, really? Yes and no. Usually, during my interviews abroad, I just have some ob observations that that are maybe interesting, that, but they are not uh, good for TV, you know. They are somewhere in my mind, they could be written, but it's very, it's very hard to show them. Uh, because you need a lot of explanation, you need some images that you don't have, you know, and and something like that. So I usually put put them down without any knowing what I could do with it, you know. And when I just take them after two years, five years, maybe this can be the beginning of a story, or maybe the plot twist of a story, or maybe the ending of a story, or maybe, I don't know, the, the surroundings, you know. It works like that. Uh, sometimes I, I'm really very sociable. I think I'm too sociable as a writer. <laughs> and, I, and I really love spending time with my friends. And sometimes they tell me some crazy stories about their grandmothers and grandfathers, you know, about the journey somewhere, about their work or something. So sometimes I put the stories down also and use them after, after some years, of course, uh, not without asking them. I have to. I have to ask them. Do you have a little notebook that you keep with you at all times? And no, I, I think it doesn't work these days. I have a note, which is note on my phone, which is called uh, Idea Pack, and I text everything there. <laughs> it's a rubbish bin. You know? <laughs> That's where I'm a little bit different. I just have a notepad and I write things down on my notepad. In, by hand, by hand. By hand. <laughs> yeah, I know, you're surprised. <laughs> <laughs> do you write by hand or do you type uh, your stories and your your novels directly into I, the computer? I cannot write uh, with my hand anymore. I cannot do that. Uh, now I started my uni again. I, I, I'm trying to get uh, my master's degrees in literature and... After one day, I realized that I 
cannot put notes even. My hand is not working anymore. I forgot how to write by hand, you know. So I'm bringing my computer every day there. If you think of the, the books that you love, that have influenced you, do you hope that your books will also influence other people in the future? Maybe some parts of bodies could do something in the future. What do you think it could do? What do you hope from your book? There are some stories which, which are just timeless stories. Sometimes I see that maybe there are one story or maybe two stories that could be timeless. But, you know, I am not timeless, so I don't care. So what do young people like you in Lithuania hope for? What do you care about at the moment? We care about a lot of things, too many things, I think. It's some kind of uh, wave right now to be perfect uh, in all possible categories, you know. You have to be fit, you have to be healthy, you have to do some jogging, you know, you have to be nice at work, you you, you are not allowed to have any pimples on your face. It's, uh, you know, just uh, a, lot, a lot of these things, you know. Uh, we, as uh, we are really very small country, we know everybody, so you have to be good all the time. You don't have any chance to hide here. After this collection of short stories, what do you want to do now? I'm working uh, with, with my new novel for maybe, with the same novel for maybe five years already. Uh, I got tired. Uh, sometimes I put it away. Sometimes I get it back. You know, I rewrite, do something. So maybe one day, one day I, I, I will see it published. But I don't know yet. I think I need a year or something. Give me an idea of what it's about. Actually, it's about a documentary filmmaker. He's a filmmaker. He's trying to make a film which is impossible to be made. You know, It's, it's very human. What I really like, I, I don't actually like to write all that science fiction stories or very big stories. I like those small stories about small people somewhere. You know, and even if somebody is really big, I have to, I love to show him small at his smallest day, his smallest hometown with his smallest mom, if you know what, what I mean. That's what you're interested in. It seems to me in everything you do. It's the human absolutely. stories. It's the human stories. Yeah, it's human stories. Absolutely. Do you have the same ambitions as a journalist too? Do you want to explore and develop your journalism? I, I do not, you know. For me, all the journalist I'm doing is so so everyday life, you know. I'm not trying to tell you that it it's easy, but somehow it it develops by itself. I don't have to do anything, you know, some it develops somehow anyway. But with my writing is I I really love doing that, but anyway, I have to push myself. Because it's really hard, you know, because you are so lonely, you're so alone there in front of your computer trying to invent something that uh, wasn't invented yet. It's frustrating, it hurts, but uh, it gives you really a lot. Writing a book is such a boring, such a frustrating job that after you finish it, you, you are a better person somehow in some way anyway. Do you read very widely? Do you have lots of favorite authors? I have many 
not many, 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 but some authors that inspire inspire me. Uh, when I read The World According to Garb by John Irving, I was 14 or 15 maybe. I thought, oh my God, that's a book that I would love to write. For me, it is a perfect book. It's a completely perfect book. Um, uh, then I read some more books like I took uh, Haruki Murakami and I really loved that clearness he gives you you know that that lightness that lightness and as I mentioned lightness I remember Milan Kundera with, with his unbearable lightness of being you know I'm learning from every book I'm reading I don't know how but sometimes I just open the same book for many times uh, just looking, just to look for something, for some phrase, for some sentence. Uh, what I know that I really like, I like the clearness. The clarity. Yes, the, the clarity, the clarity. I, I like the books that are quite modest, modest and minimalist in, in, the, in their structure and form. So how would you describe your style when you compare it with some of the other authors that you really love? I think it's minimalism somehow. It's interesting and wonderful for me to read your writing, Akfile, because it's it's fresh and it's different and it's youthful and it's playful. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you will produce next. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's, so, it's a pleasure to hear something like that, you know, when, when you are a young author. <laughs> Akfile, you're going to give us a reading now from um, one of the short stories in the collection from bodies. The story is called Inside the Duya in Lithuanian. It tells a story about a guy who grew, grew up in Lunde in a very small town there near Oslo, Norway. It's been translated by Medina Tribunalis. At journalism school, Lars was one of the most gifted students. He wrote with a light touch. His early articles and interviews did not come across as student writing. His themes always found a home. He could write something even when others thought there was nothing there. His interlocutors would tell him more than they would tell other people. After university, he started a job at a television station working for their lifestyle program. And he finally had the opportunity every day to examine the whirlwind of other people's thoughts. A famous opera soloist talking about his career revealed that for a long time he had been unfaithful to his wife. A mother's wife confessed they'd planned the crime together. Bergen's mayor announced he was ill with advanced stage cancer. When Lars was 30-something, not only had he already worked out how to get a person's essence, but also to change something in it using a method he had developed himself. He would put words into subjects' mind, words that were most useful to his story. For example, when speaking to a swam beaver farmer, instead of using terms like put to sleep or subdue, he would use the word kill in his questions. Eventually, the farmer led him to the gas chamber and said, and this is where we kill them. 
The farmer was no fool, and it was precisely for this reason that Lars was quietly proud of his work. But that was not enough. He yearned to go deeper inside. Many thought it was a joke, but at the age of 35, he began to study medicine. You know, journalists wade into people's souls. I waded in so deep that now I'm inside their bodies in the truest sense of the word, he said in an interview with a Bergen news site. And you know what the hardest thing is now? Journalists spend their days creating drama. And now my work is to eliminate drama. When I worked in television, we called cancer a secret deadly disease. A tumor the size of a ball in a patient's stomach? When I became a doctor, this became merely a health crisis which we need to solve with a successful operation. You see, I'm 44 and I'm still a journalist. When I operate with a local anesthetic, I like to chat with my patients. It's a habit left over from my previous profession. Once before an operation, I asked the patient if she was nervous. She said she wasn't worried one little bit because I was an experienced surgeon and that made her feel completely calm. That was the first operation I ever completed on my own. Thank you. All that remains now is for me to say thank you very, very much indeed to Akfile Kavalovskaita in Lithuania. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you to all of you for listening as well. My name is Rosie Goldsmith, and thanks for listening to today's riveting interview. You can follow all the European authors participating in the Europe Reader project on the Europe Reader website, europereader.eu. And don't forget, you can actually read one of Aquilae's short stories um, on the website as well. You can access all our riveting interviews on the European Literature Network website. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.